ding. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome aboard to the Through the Eyes of Jesus podcast. Please fasten your seatbelts and get ready for a good time. Welcome back, everybody. My name is Isaiah Leininger. Joining me today, as always, is my good friend, Walker Howell. And we have a very special returning guest today, Nate James. Go ahead and say hello, my friend. Yer. Close enough. <laughs> Same Close way enough. he introduced himself last time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> speaking of, speaking of, Nate, like I said, is a returning guest. Uh, Nate appeared in season two, I believe it was, mm-hmm. talking about cultural diversity. Yes. Very, very interesting discussion there. Uh, oh, yeah. And more, more than more than one way uh, when I say that. But uh, we had a good time. I feel targeted. Uh, a little bit. A little bit. <laughs> I should. Uh, but we had a good time, and uh, Nate had some really, really good thoughts, and we decided to bring him back for season four. Uh, of course, season four, we're talking about apologetics issues, and yes. Nate, that's actually what you're focusing on. It is, yes. This is my single favorite topic. Love it. Awesome. Uh, I'm very tired, that's why. I no, you're good, you're good. At first I thought it was like sarcasm. No, like, believe man. me, believe me, apologetics, like, I was that, I was that homeschool sheltered kid who like, instead of socializing, would sit inside watching debates between atheists and theists. And Kyle so, Butt. Seriously, Kyle Butt, if you're listening, you're my hero. I know you already know that, because I've already told you that, but anyway. Uh, do you want to go Don't ahead and... file a restraining order. <laughs> <laughs> do you want to go ahead and, and plug some of your stuff real quick? And yeah, we'll sure. The episode? Um, yeah, so like they said, my name is Nate James. Um, I am a speaker, a writer, but uh, most people would know me as a hip-hop artist. Um, I am nearly about to top 100,000 worldwide streams across 113 countries. Um, I've networked with a lot of people in the industry, and everything that I do, I do not for the fame or for the money, but in order to spread... Um, a message of overcoming and actually today uh, a new song of mine released called Dear Nobody so go check that out that is the last single to release before my album very excited but uh, yeah I'm excited to be back I loved our time last time and this is going to be fire when, when is your album coming out? that's a great question um, <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm still waiting on a guy to send back a feature for one of the uh, most important songs in the project so as soon as I get that I'll be able to release a date perfect, yeah. perfect. it'll so, be before the year's out though good alright so keep an eye out on that I love Nate's music and uh, definitely appreciate him taking the time to come out and, and talk with us today. <laughs> so, like I said, we're, today we're looking at some apologetics issues. And a question that a lot of people have, and they may not consider it a, an apologetics issue, but it's, it's something that a lot of people still wonder about and, and think about, is what happens after I die? And, you know, there's a lot of different theories out there. Some people believe that you get reincarnated into another animal or into another person. Uh, some people believe that... Uh, you know, you're in purgatory and you kind of have to, to pay off your sins and then you're free to go. And then some people, you know, they don't think anything happens after you die. We're, we're here and then we're gone and boom, that's it. Uh, you just you go to dust. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, and so th- there's, there's a lot of opinions out there. But of course, we as Christians, are, all of our opinions should come from the Bible, right? All, everything that we believe, everything that we think, that needs to come from the scriptures. <laughs> And so what does the Bible say about this question? What does the Bible say happens to us after we die? And before we really get into that subject, we wanted to make sure that we laid out a good foundation for the rest of this episode. And so in order to do that, we wanted to talk about the soul of the person. Each and every human has a soul. God gave that to them at the moment of conception when their life began. And that soul is unlike anything else a human has Everything else a human has is uh, perishing. It's temporary. But a soul is eternal. 
a soul lasts again from that moment of conception till it forever. <clears throat> there's no end date. There's no expiration date on your soul. And so when Christians are talking to you about your soul, that's not some trivial thing. That's not just, oh, you know, I have soul because I like jazz music, right? <laughs> there, it's, it's, it's a lot more than that. Uh, a soul is eternal, and it's important that when people talk about your soul, you understand that this is something that really, really matters. Amen. I think that one of the very key ways in which we're made in God's image is that we have a soul. Because that which is eternal about God in some small way is reflected in us. It's a really special thing. You know, our souls, um, really, it, it, it's, it doesn't matter what we may look like or what we may, uh, what we may think or whatever. The, the thing that really defines us is our soul. And that is what truly uh, makes up who we are. You can forget about everything else. If um, the decisions that you make, the things that you do, all comes from, I mean, your soul. It comes from your conscience. It comes from those type things. And so our soul is an important aspect of our lives and is the thing that's ultimately going to be judged on the Day of Judgment. Um, and we'll get into that in just a moment. But it's ultimately going to be uh, the the thing that's going to be looked at um, from God's perspective. And so we need to make sure that the decisions that we're making um, are affecting our soul in a positive way. Definitely, Walker. Great points, both of you. I really wanted to, to think about what Nate said for just a second. The fact, and that's something that I don't think I'd ever really considered until you just brought it up. But, uh, of course, in the scriptures we read that God is everlasting to everlasting, right? He was there before time began, and he'll be there when time ends. He's, he's, he's been there forever, and he'll last through eternity. And with our souls, like I said earlier, our souls are also eternal. And that, like, as, as Nate pointed out, that reflects a little bit of God in us. And I think that's really, really important to think about because that different that makes us different than anything else on this planet. Yeah. Right. Um, a, an interesting brief question that I'd really like to hear y'all's opinions on because I hear a lot of different views. This is just barely beyond the scope of what we're talking about. But if our souls are eternal, do you believe that our souls are created at the moment of our conception in the womb or have our souls somehow always existed? Because if it's eternal, could it truly have a starting point? So... It's just an interesting question, because a lot of people say, you know, oh, you know, when God sent me down from heaven into my body, like, you, you hear people talk like that, you know, about your soul existing in heaven already and then coming down. Um, how do y'all feel about that? Do you think that our souls are have a point of creation? I mean, obviously, they did at some point, right? It, that's, that is to be assumed. But it's not an answer we're given explicitly in Scripture, but do y'all know of anything that could allude to anything? The way that I would think about this would be, you know, we know that God is, he's always existed and he's not confined by time, space, or matter. But we also got to remember that God is a supernatural being. We are not supernatural beings. And right. so I think for that reason and for that reason alone, our souls have to have a starting point. Because if if our souls didn't have a starting point, we would still be supernatural beings. And we would, we would right. never have a beginning and we'd never have an end either. And so I think since God's an all-powerful supernatural being, then... That's the reason why he can always exist, but we cannot. So therefore, our souls would have to be created at conception. That's just how I think about it. That makes sense to me. Yeah, I'm on board with that too. Yeah, it's an interesting thought. Because like, obviously, by our mathematical definition, eternal can't have a beginning. But anything's possible with God. So. Right, right. 
Anyway, I'm glad we hit that. That was just yeah. A, yeah. Random, a random intrusive thought that I had that I was like, wait, did we start? Or have we always been? <laughs> I was like, huh? And you know, you probably, you probably asked a question that many were actually wondering, so I'm glad we actually addressed it. So. Definitely. There Definitely. We go. But, uh, but like I was saying, you know, that, that soul, whether it is, you know, created or has always been, I agree with Walker, it was probably more created. Yeah, uh, sure. But regardless of that, <coughs> that soul is what makes us different than anything else on this planet, right? The, the chair that, you know, you, you may be sitting in, that doesn't have a soul. The, the tree, the, 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 you know, the phone that you're listening to this on, even your, your, your dog, they don't have a soul. Humans are unique because of that. And it's because of that nature that, we ha- uh, that God has given us that we are to rule over the world. As, as he said in Genesis chapter 1. Yeah. Uh, but as Walker pointed out, you know, these souls have something coming, right? And that's Judgment Day. And that's, and that's where God is going to come down and, and show what someone has done in their life. Uh, Paul talked about this a lot in 2 Corinthians, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 especially. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and right now I'm just going to read verse 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. <coughs> so Paul here, he's, he's talking and he's, he says, we're all going to uh, go before God. He's going to reveal to us the things that we've done. He's going to show us the things that we've said and the things that we thought. And he's going to say, this is how you lived. And if we have lived in accordance with his rules, if we've not practiced evil, but instead practiced righteousness, if we have followed his commands, then we will be one of his sheep, right? That he puts on the right hand. And if we are not one of those people, we'll be a goat on his left. And that's a, a, an allusion to a parable that Jesus told in Matthew chapter 25 about, about this day, about this day of judgment. And so that's going to happen at some point in time. Jesus will come back down to earth in all of his glory. The dead will rise, and all souls that have ever lived or are living at that time will be judged. We don't know when that is. Uh, The scripture says that it's going to come like a thief in the night. If if someone's planning on robbing my house, they're not going to leave me a little note on the door that says, Hey, if your door's not locked at 2.30 this morning, I'm coming in. He's not going to do that. No no self-respecting thief would call you up and say, hey, just so you know, I'm planning on breaking in this morning. And so when the the Bible says that the day of God's judgment will come like a thief in the night, it's saying we have no idea when it's going to come. We don't know. And so the application there, of course, is we've got to be ready. We have have no idea when Christ could come. Could be today, could be tomorrow, may not happen in our lifetimes, but the point is we've got to be ready. And even if Christ doesn't come in our lifetimes, we still got to be ready because there's things in this life that happen that are unpredictable. Uh, Car accidents, sickness, those kinds of things. Those are not things that people expect to happen to them, but they happen a lot, unfortunately. Uh, And so we need to be ready. We need to be prepared. We have to make sure that we are living the way that we're supposed to live and practicing the things that we're supposed to practice and avoiding the things that we're supposed to avoid. 
Remember Matthew chapter 25, Jesus illustrates this idea of being prepared whenever he talks about the parable of the ten virgins. Uh, if right. you recall the story, um, you know, there was five foolish and there was five wise, and the five foolish did not prepare their lamps and trim their lamps in order uh, to be ready in time for the uh, wedding feast. But the five wives came prepared, and they were ready for the wedding feast, and they were ready for whenever the bridegroom came, and they were able to come in. And so uh, the Bible illustrates constantly this idea of being prepared and um, want and having a mindset that's set on eternal things, having a mindset that's set on uh, being ready for the second coming of Christ. And so it's something that's stressed throughout Scripture. And, um, you know, we often say that the Bible is the greatest love story, but it's also the greatest plea for redemption is also the greatest plea yeah. for you to uh, change your life for you to um, for you to turn back to God uh, no matter where you may be and be prepared for whenever he may return again and you know something that's interesting about that parable that you mentioned is that culturally the meaning of keeping the lamps trimmed and whatnot has kind of been lost but um, I experienced this uh, really, really heavy storm when I was living in Boston briefly, and all our electricity went out. And miraculously, the house that we were staying at had these old oil lamps in the basement. And so I got to experience, obviously not how the ancients would have in the Bible, but I got to experience what it's like to constantly have to keep a lamp filled with oil, trimmed, making sure that everything is just right. It requires almost constant attention. And so the people would have read this and understood, wow, we are to be ready at all times. We're not to be caught lacking at any time. If there is a single time that we're not ready, we're not, we're not following up or, we're, you know, we're not, um, we're not doing what this parable commands. And so I think that that's something important to remember is that it's not a, a one-time thing. A lot of people think, oh, you get dunked in some water. Now the Holy Spirit's in you and you're good to go. But no, it's a constant thing. I think it's important you brought up that parable. Something we were talking about today in my class on the book of Ephesians, uh, we were looking at the section towards the end of the book uh, about the armor of God. And the professor made the point, and it was something that makes a lot of sense. I just never thought about it in that way before. He, he told us that, you know, in order to make sure that we are being strong in the faith, that we're standing tall against <coughs> the devil, that we've always got to have that armor on, mm-hmm. right? And it, and it makes sense. You know, if, if, you're, if you're a soldier in the middle of a war, which is what the Bible tells us we, we are, as, as Christians, we're in this spiritual war against Satan. Uh, if you're caught without your helmet or you're caught without your uh, breastplate or you're caught without your shoes and something happens, you're unprepared. Yeah. Right. So, uh, you know, I, I, th- I think of a, a story I heard of, a, of an army ambushing another army. Right. And. And the, the soldiers had fallen asleep in the camp and they had taken all their armor off because it's uncomfortable to sleep in. And you know, it, was a, it was a slaughter because they weren't prepared. They weren't ready for that attack. And so I think the point that, you know, if, if you, <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't really like this expression, but if you don't hear anything else from this episode, hear this. Judgment Day is coming. Be prepared. Yeah. And I, I've, I'm so happy that you brought up Ephesians 6 because that has um, very quickly become one of my favorite passages. I actually uh, preached a lesson at Sims Ridge a few weeks ago that was completely on this subject because this is one of the 
most intricate comparisons in all of scripture. You hear so many lessons that are preached on Ephesians 6, but when you look at each individual piece of armor, it corresponds to its spiritual practice perfectly. Like, I mean, you look at this, the, you know, uh, let me look through here. Waste with truth. What does a belt do? It holds everything together. The truth is the foundation that our faith is built on. Breastplate of righteousness. Righteousness is what keeps us going, protects our most vital organs, right? You look at um, feet with the preparation of gospel peace. You're not getting very far if you don't have good shoes. You know, it's less so out here, but back in Colorado, hiking is one of our favorite things to do. And if you put on roller skates instead of shoes, (laughs) or you don't wear shoes at all, it is going to be incredibly difficult. And so that preparation of the gospel of peace, basically what we're doing right now is what's going to prepare us to go the long way. Shield of faith, self-explanatory, right? Um, and then helmet of salvation. I mean, salvation, that's, that's what gets to heaven. That's literally what we're talking about right now. And the helmet protects your nervous system. And then, of course, the sword, which is also self-explanatory. It's amazing to see how this comparison goes so much deeper. And I, I love that you brought that up because there's so many quotes that apply. The Bible uses words like war and battle in a very real sense. You know, when you get out of a fight, there's going to be cracks in your armor. You're not walking away from it unscathed. And if you just leave those, that means your armor is weak for the next fight. There's so, so many comparisons that can be made. And I feel like way too often we look at verses like this. We look at scriptures like this and we think to ourselves, well, that's pretty cool. You know, we're basically knights. And then we shut our Bibles. But when you think about it, the glamorous part of being a warrior is a very small percentage of the time, right? And... I think that what we don't realize is that the most glamorous part of being a warrior is not during the battle. It's the celebration after the battle. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that's a decent transition into what we're about to talk about, <laughs> which is the celebration after the battle, at least for those who are in Christ. Uh, I, think, I think we've said basically everything that we wanted to say so far. Uh, just to sum it all up, there, you know, humans have souls. Those souls will be judged on Christ's second coming, the day of Christ's second coming, for the things that they have done. Uh, And we we see very plainly, I don't know if we've actually mentioned this yet, but we see very plainly, uh, especially in the parable uh, of the sheep and the goats, that there are only two options on Judgment Day. Mm -hmm. You're either going to Christ and being with Him in heaven forever, or you're going to hell forever. And we use the description of a lake of fire when we're talking about hell, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not a huge swimmer, but I, I do enjoy it. And, you know, getting out and, and swimming. I can't imagine swimming while being on fire. That would, that would be awful. Uh, and the, and the fact is that we just, that's such a tiny picture of what it is because our, our brains are this physical, uh, physically focused thing instead of spiritually focused like God is. And so that's the best way that we can understand what hell is like. It's like (coughs) swimming in a lake of fire because there's going to be so much pain and agony and suffering in hell. There's really no way for us to wrap our minds around it. And I think on the flip side of that, there's so much comfort and joy and celebration. Like you were talking about earlier, Nate, there's so much comfort and joy and celebration in heaven that we can't really understand that either. And so that's why uh, heaven is described as a place of no tears, is described as a place with many mansions, is described as the streets of gold and the pearly gates, all right? And those are just physical, you know, very, very limited descriptions because that's what our brains need to be able to comprehend those kinds of things. Well, and think about it from a logical perspective. For me, like, 
I, I think very visually, so things like that are always helpful, thinking about Lake of Fire or, you know, and, and everything that's related to that, and Streets of Gold, of course, on the opposite for heaven. But for me, <clears throat> the moment that it really clicked, and I feel like, obviously we can't understand eternity, but the moment that I could quantify it in my mind, thinking about this stuff, is God is eternal good. He is everything that is good, completely wrapped up in, in its completion, right? And we know that hell is a place where God is not. So think about that for a moment. The, no matter what circumstance you explain to me, whether that's a lake of fire or something like that, I can always think, yeah, but it would be worse if you added this. There's always a step worse, right? Sharks. Well, I mean, think about it. Like, there, there's so many things that you could say yeah. that could make it worse. And so for me, it's it, it boggled my mind when I realized... We, you know, obviously, you know, that there's a lot of people who ask you look at a lot of interviews um, with, I don't know if y'all watch Living Waters Ministry with Ray Comfort, but he goes around to college students and asks them questions and, and atheists and whatnot. And he's, he's amazing, expert lines of questioning. But so often people ask him what hell's going to be like. And what I don't think people realize is that we can try to describe it all we want. We can try to word it in the most traumatizing, scary way possible. But the most simple way to put it Again, the, 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 way, the way I heard it worded one time is that it was like, it's plain and simple. We don't know what it's going to be like, but you don't want to be there. <laughs> like it is, it is simply in the same way that we always say we can't fully describe heaven, but just know that there's nothing better. Well, we can't fully describe hell. Mm -hmm. Anybody who thinks they can is sorely mistaken. But that is eternal absence of anything that is good, that is right, that is wonderful. Mm -hmm. When it talks about, in scripture, I'm, I'm terrible at citing scripture, when it talks about meditating on things that are good, that are lovely, that are just, that are beautiful. Philippians 4.8. Thank you, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that. <coughs> we have our concordance. That's why we have them around. Living concordance <laughs> over here. Um, <clears throat> all of that, all these wonderful things that it talks about dwelling on, not even a hint of a thought of that exists in this place. <clears throat> and... You know, obviously, the, the point of this podcast in this episode is not to scare the listeners that we're talking about here, but in a similar sense, like, a healthy dose of fear of this place is healthy. Mm -hmm. That's the point. And I think that in our modern-day church, <clears throat> we've kind of developed this fear of even mentioning hell, and we kind of consider it to be a bad word, which, granted, in, you know, the right circumstances, it is considered cursing, but... I, I think that we need to get over our, our fear of scaring people because if you're not scared of hell, well, why would you feel the need for saving? Like, that's, that's kind of the, the whole point of the existence of a place like this is so that there's an alternative. And um, so, yeah, I think that, I think that while on, on the one hand it's not supposed to be this, this crazed preaching about just trying to scare people into salvation, there's a balance but we've kind of lost some of that fear. I don't know. Do you guys agree? I feel like in our comfortable America, we kind of gotten a little too comfortable. Definitely. I would absolutely 100% <clears throat> agree with that. Uh, and I, I think something that you pointed out uh, maybe needs to be a little bit expounded on. Like uh, you said that a healthy dose of fear of hell is good. And I agree with that. And I think like you were saying, you know, hell should be a motivator for wanting us to be in heaven. But I don't think it should be the only motivator. And I feel like that's some, something that some people <coughs> struggle with is they don't, they don't take that next step. Right. right? They're, they hear about Christ for the first time. They hear about the alternative to not following Christ. And that, 
that scares them into action, but that doesn't keep them in action. Right. Right. And so I, th- I think it's a good place for that, for, uh, for faith to start is out of fear of hell. But as you continue to grow as a Christian, I think it should transition from fear of hell to love of God right. and wanting to be with God. Yeah. If the foundation of your faith is fear. And that was alliteration right there. The foundations of your faith is fear. There you go. There's a, there's a lyric for <laughs> There we go. I'm writing that down. <laughs> but seriously, like, if you know, fear is, like, there's a reason why so many politicians use fear tactics. It's because it spurs people into action against something. And if you have misplaced fear, or even if you have the right fear of something, fear cannot be the sole motivator. If it is, you're bound for trouble. Definitely. And I, I think something else that we should expound on before... Moving on to the actual question of this episode. Uh, <laughs> Why does this keep happening? Well, we needed to lay a foundation. Yeah, but, no, for sure, for sure. Uh, but something else that we sh- should talk about is the idea of what makes hell so bad. And, and like we were saying earlier, we can't really des- describe what's going to happen there. Right. We don't really have the words to comprehend exactly what's going to happen. But, but Nate, I think you pointed it out earlier. What makes hell so bad? It's the fact that God isn't there. Right. Right. Uh, God is the God of all comfort. <laughs> he is the God of all joy. He is the God of all love. He is the God of all safety. And so when you are in heaven, you are in his presence and you receive those things. But when you're in hell, you are about as far away from his presence as you can get. Right. So you have no comfort. You have no joy. You have no peace. You have <clears> no safety. All of those things are thrown out the window because you have abandoned God and you have just said, I don't want to yeah. be in your presence. And that's what makes hell so bad. It's because you are leaving God yeah. for something that will only bring suffering. An, an interesting side note, that, that talking about the absence of God in hell, um, this to take it to an apologetics point, this is a bit of a side point, but I think it's a valuable one for us to hit because it's something that a lot of people are asking. <clears throat> it's the, om, uh, the omnipresence paradox. If, God, if we define omnipresence as everywhere, God is everywhere, is God in hell? Because if he is, then that's not hell, right? There's so many people who say, oh, all, omnipotence, all-powerful. God can do anything. Omnipresence. God is everywhere. Broad statements like that are far too easy to turn into a paradox. The way I look at it, God is aware of everything at all times. It doesn't mean his presence is there. I think, again, this is a complete side point, but I think it's valuable for us to hit we need to redefine omnipresence. Yes. Because if we say omnipresence and we truly mean God is everywhere, hell does not exist. Mm-hmm. Because that means God's there, right? Mm-hmm. And so, again, uh, sorry, that kind of dragged away from the topic just, just a little bit. But omnipresence, <laughs> we need to hit that. Because sure. God is not in hell. If, if people think God is in hell, well, then hell is heaven. And, and, and kind of adding on <clears throat> to that point, you know, you, you brought up omnipotence as well. You know, God is all-powerful. And we, and we use that a lot because uh, we, we do serve a God who is mighty beyond belief. But like you were saying with your point about omnipresence, I think we also need to tweak how we look at omni, uh, omnipotence as well, yeah. if that's the right word. Omnipotence. Yeah. Omnipotence, thank <laughs> you. Uh, it's, it's a long night. But anyway, yeah. uh, you know, I don't know if anyone else has heard this, but something that's been brought up to me before is if God is so powerful, can he make a rock that he too. can't lift? Yeah. That's right. my favorite question that atheists bring up. Right, and and so it's <clears throat> that's the kind of thing that you were talking about, right? With when we paint with these broad strokes, people are going to come in and poke at the details yeah. that we don't think about. They're going to try to grab their little mic drops. Mm-hmm. When in actuality, like obviously, 
we can't get too far into omnipotence because that's a completely different subject. Mm-hmm. But there is a very easy answer to yeah. that. Talking about that, you know, God literally being existence and thus bends existence to his will. Right. And the fact that a paradoxical question requires a paradoxical answer. It's like asking, can a boxer beat himself in a fight? Well, yes, but also no. Right. If someone's like, well, did he win? Yes. Well, does that mean he lose? Yes. But he won. Yes. Well, does not mean he lose? Yes. <laughs> a paradoxical question requires a paradoxical yeah. answer. <laughs> there, there's a there's a clear answer for that, and then we'll we'll move on to the the actual question here at hand, and that is of course that God is not a physical being; uh, He's not limited by physical limitations as we are. Uh, and so, asking if God can make a rock so big that He can't lift it, that's ignoring the fact that God is not uh, physical; God is spiritual. Well, and along with that, in the same way that God cannot sin, that's not because of capability; that is His nature is morality. Thus, right. if God does something, it is moral. No matter no matter what that may be, if God does something, it is moral because he is morality. Definitely. And just to hit this, because this is so so much fun to do, this omnipotence paradox is literally my favorite question in, apolo- in all of apologetics. Because you can take it to the extreme of the definition. To lift something, if, if, if a rock is heavier than God, it has a higher infinitude than God. So you're saying something has a higher infinitude than an infinite being. Not only that, but if you're lifting, that means that rock is on something. So you're telling me, that a rock is on a plane that is infinitely heavier than a rock that is infinitely heavier than an infinite being. <laughs> that, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's absurd when you get into the details, and that's exactly how all questions are that are about the nature of God. Definitely. <clears throat> but anyway, yeah. you know, just, to, just to bring it back in, uh, <coughs> Judgment Day, right? That, that's what we're talking about. Yeah. But... What we're supposed to be talking about. Well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we're trying. We're trying. There, there's too many brains running at too high of speed, so we, we crash them. In, instead of, like, us combining one brain cell, it's like we all have a little too many right now to give. <laughs> and anyway. there they went. <laughs> anyway. And there's a brain cell that just blew. Yes. Uh, or several. Anyway. Uh, I'm very glad this is not a visual podcast. Anyway. Hey, I am too. I'm a mess right now. <laughs> also, we apologize for all the background noise you may hear. We di- we we didn't think the recording location through tonight, and so we're recording in a dorm room. So. A multi million dollar studio was being used by my boy Kanye. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I decided to give it up to him, so now we're in my penthouse, and everything's a little loud. Sorry. <laughs> College students. Anyway, uh, you know it. so like we were talking about. <clears throat> humans have a soul, those souls will be judged on Judgment Day. And like we brought up earlier, all of the dead will rise and they will be judged, and all of those who are living will, will be judged as well. But that, of course, brings up the question, uh, and, and really the, the main focus of this, this episode is what happens when we die, right? For all those people who have lived before us and all those people who will be born and, and be alive before Christ comes again, what's going to happen to them in between when they die and Christ's second coming. Are they judged immediately? Is the day of judgment just a thing that happens when you die? What happens when we die? And so that's, that's the question that we're really wanting to answer tonight, and that's why we brought Nate on. Uh, so, Nate, I'm going to go ahead and turn it over to you and let you kick it off. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> Freedom to start wherever. No, I think that it... Um, it's impossible to talk about where we're going after we die without looking at the story of the rich man and Lazarus because 
that is, I mean, obviously there are plenty of verses about where we're going, what's going to happen, but if there's any one of them that actually highlights in any sort of sense, whether, whether, you know, obviously there's a lot of arguments about whether or not it's poetic. Um, I tend to think it is not because why would the genre of the writing go from a historical narrative to poetry immediately one verse later when Jesus starts telling a story to back, you know, it, it to me, it doesn't make sense. Uh, it doesn't follow the usual format of a parable, <clears throat> you know, Jesus is usually pretty clear <laughs> about either labeling it a parable or framing it in some way that it would be a parable. Um, but this does not seem to be so. And we see two places outlined. And obviously, depending on what translation you're looking at, I'd like to just go back to the original terms, Sheol and Gehenna, right? Um, or Abraham's bosom and Hades, which is in our English translations most of the time. And it brings up a very interesting question that I've had rattling in my brain for a long time. And I really am interested to hear your guys' perspectives because this is actually not something I've come to a concrete conclusion on. We read the descriptions, and Abraham's bosom sounds very similar to heaven, right? And Hades sounds very similar to hell. So, <laughs> why is it that the waiting places are already where you're going? Why is there a judgment day if you already know? If you get there and you're like, I'm in Abraham's bosom, I'm going to heaven. Well, judgment day, you're going to walk out and it's going to be like, hi, yeah, you know, I've, I've known the entire time. And it also brings up the question, if Gehenna and Sheol are exclusive, they're different from hell and heaven, then two spiritual realms exist that is eternally good and eternally evil? If they're eternally good and eternally evil, aren't they not? Are they not equal to one another? Is Gehenna gonna turn into hell, and Abraham's bosom is gonna turn into heaven? But we read that heaven seemingly already exists from the very beginning. So there, it just it raises a lot of very odd questions, and obviously we don't have concrete answers to them. But I'm really interested in hearing your guys' perspectives on that. The way that it has been explained to me. Uh, and this is by uh, Don Blackwell, a very well-known preacher in the Brotherhood. Uh, he, there's a whole video on the, uh, the World Video Bible School on, on YouTube. So if you want to uh, check that out after listening to this episode, go ahead. Uh, Don Blackwell does a great job um, mm -hmm. on it here. And so I'm, I'm kind of stealing information from him. Uh, but the point is, uh, Abraham's bosom and, and uh, this place of torments... Uh, it's almost like a lesser level, the way that's the way that I understand it. Uh, and again, this is my opinion. This is not something that Scripture inherently tells us. Right. Uh, and I may be misinterpreting <coughs> something or misinterpreting what uh, what Brother Blackwell said. But it's a a place of lesser, and so Abraham's bosom is good, but it's not as good as heaven. Torments is awful, but it's not as awful as hell. And so I think that may clear a little bit up and then also uh the question about uh you know why is there a judgment day when you know in 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 this this story whether it is a parable or an actual account uh you know why why are they there instead of just uh going straight to heaven or to hell and i think that is a, a good a really good question and i don't have a great answer to this either but <coughs> the way that i understand it is that on Judgment Day, A, that's when the living will be judged, right? They haven't been sorted into Abraham's bosom or to torments yet. Right. So that's one reason why Judgment Day exists. 
but also it's uh, it's the day that Christ will come down and let you know this is why. You know, Christ Christ will look me in the eyes and say, Isaiah, this is the things that you've done well. These are the things that you failed at, but my grace will cover, right? If we're if I am in Christ, which I at this point in my life I believe that I am, and I think the scriptures can can tell us that we that we know that we are if we are truly following Him. You know, of course, that requires self-reflection. But the point is, uh, that's a moment for Christ to come and, and say, this is <coughs> how you lived, this is where you failed, and that's where my grace is covering, uh, covering for it if uh, the person is in Christ. I, that's my opinion, and I may be misinterpreting something. So if I am, please let us know. We would love to have your, your thoughts and your comments on it. Yeah, it's... It's really an interesting, it's a really interesting account because there's, I mean, there's just so many things. I, I, I wonder, I can't help but wonder if Jesus, as he was telling these things, maybe chuckled to himself knowing that we'd have conversations that were confusing about this one day. But I'm sure he did. Yeah, I, I, I have a feeling, yeah. Um, but it, it is interesting. I, I personally, I think there's only one point in what you said that I tend to disagree on. And that is that it's a toned-down version. And the only reason why I say that is really because of verse 24 in Luke 16, which is where the rich man cries out that Lazarus may... Notice he doesn't ask for a cup of water. He doesn't ask to be removed from it. Literally, the only relief that he begs for is to dip the tip of his finger in water to cool his tongue. That's pretty wild. (laughs) You know, like it, it, it sounds, it sounds to me and, and the repeated use of the word torment and it mentions flames as well. Um, I, I have not seen that world video Bible school, uh, video and obviously he is a far more educated man than I. So I, I'm, I'm going to trust his judgment over mine in this instance. I'm not, I'm not sure that came from <coughs> the video that might, that may be something I picked up somewhere else. Oh, I see. So yeah, de- definitely go and check out that video. We'll include the link to the video on the show. Yes, definitely. Sweet. Yeah. And, and I think I think your point uh, about Judgment Day is a really good point, that it's about the living and judging the living. And that brings me to another really interesting point that I thought was incredibly cool that I learned from really two men in particular, Brett Petrillo from uh, the Bear Valley Bible Institute um, and then Wayne Roberts. Um, I don't know if y'all have had the privilege of meeting or listening to either of them, uh, but they're both incredible. And something that I've learned from them is that while heaven is a spiritual realm the heaven that our souls will exist in seems to have some sort of physical nature referring to a new heaven and a new earth that that type of thing and and a lot of the physical descriptions they're of the very interesting belief that there is a somewhat physical nature to heaven that it will be the restoration of eden because eden was a perfect place by nature there's a good argument to be made that eden was essentially heaven. Obviously, there's a different. There seems to be a separation between the heaven that God existed in, you know. But at the same time, the presence of God went on the face of the waters. So were the two one at one point. And something that they bring up, we read about the dead in Christ will rise. A lot of people translate that as spiritual, right? When our souls are gathered together, but our spiritual resurrection as Christians has already happened. It's true. And so these two men, and, and again, obviously their beliefs might have changed since the time I heard this because it has been multiple years since I've heard this. But I believe that it was Brett Petrillo specifically. It was either Brett or Denny. I remember talking to one of them. And they said that they believe that that resurrection is in fact physical. 
that the dead in Christ truly will rise from the dead. And again, it is mere speculation. It's, a, it's, it's an extremely educated speculation. Obviously, I, I don't like using speculation because I think it is an excellent observation. But how do y'all feel about that? Do you, think that? do you think that it's fair to say that there is a physical nature? Because, and again, it, it's interesting because this really comes down to where we are merely philosophizing about the, the gaps of information that we have. But you know, you hear a lot of people in the church say the physical nature you hear about streets of gold, they're not actual streets of gold. But then I hear other people say, well, why in the world wouldn't there be streets of gold? If God says there's streets of gold, there's going to be streets of gold. And I, I don't know, because like in my mind, it's a balance of the two. But it's, it's interesting to think about, because is, it, is heaven going to be a perfected form of the world we live in now? Or is it going to be a 100% spiritual place? Because we know the spiritual realm interacts with the physical realm, right? Because we know that our souls coincide with our bodies. Obviously, they get separated at some point, um, at least to our knowledge. I know some people who think that Sheol is just another word for the grave, that our soul resides in our body until we're resurrected in Christ. There, again, there's so many crazy beliefs. Um, where do y'all fall on that spectrum? Walker, you've been quiet for a while. I kind of want to hear what you think. Honestly, I don't know. Um, <laughs> that was a lot of information and random yeah. speculation I just spit out. So sorry about that. Um, so what are you wanting my opinion on just some... Specifically, like, is there, in your opinion, in your speculation, is there any sort of physical nature to heaven or hell? The, the first thing that comes to my mind is, regarding heaven, is revelation. Um, and revelation outlines what you're talking about with streets of gold and stuff like that. The only thing that I, I, that I sort of stumble with is Revelation is written in apocalyptic literature. Right. And so, That's a good point. And so with that being said, you know, it may be that it, it doesn't literally mean that it's streets of gold, but it's, it's to demonstrate that it's more beautiful than what we could ever imagine. And so I, I necessarily don't think it may be quote unquote streets of gold. I think it... I think it's going to be more beautiful than what we could ever imagine, what we could ever hope for, what we, what we could ever dream of. And that's why the Bible really is silent <laughs> about what heaven really looks like. Because if God told us what heaven was going to be like, and he told us everything that was going to be there, and he told us all the fine details of what would be up there and stuff like that, then it, it's sort of like spoiling your surprise. That's a good like, point. You know, whenever your parents tell you we're going to take you on a surprise vacation, if they tell you where you're going, then you already know where you're going. <laughs> and so it just you know ruins the fun of it. And so you don't know what to expect. So sort of, I feel like God is sort of leading us on this journey to where he, he doesn't tell us what exactly is going to be up there, but he wants us. It's all about this faith thing that we read about yeah. throughout scripture. And so <laughs> it's all about, do we trust him enough that we believe that he's going to take us to this wonderful place, this beautiful place that we could yeah far ima- that we can never imagine of what it may actually look like do we actually believe that he's going to take us there now as for hell we see that the bible talks a little bit about it saying about weeping and gnashing of teeth you know it, it talks about how it's a it's a bad place and and all these different things and we have i think we have more description of what hell's going to be like than we do what heaven's going to be like and yeah, so and and the reason i think behind that is and th- this is walker howell's opinion this is not scripture based so just to throw that out there, I think the reason why we have more description of hell is because 
granted, God doesn't want us to go there. And so he's telling all these bad things about it, and he's telling us what it's actually like and yeah. what it's actually going to be like so we can prepare ourselves to not go there and we can prepare God. ourselves to go to heaven. He's God really wants, trying to save us. Yeah. He wants to spoil that surprise. Right, yeah. So he wants us to be in heaven with him. And so he tells us all about this place that we don't want to be so we can try to focus on the place that we do want to be yeah. in. And so I, that's my two cents on it. Um, I, I, really, I really appreciate the point specifically to bring it back to the point that you mm-hmm. made about the streets of gold and apocalyptic literature because something that we don't realize a lot, and we mentioned this with the parable earlier, is that the early church would have understood it slightly different than us. And we know that roads, feet, cattle, that would have been the nastiest of nasties. Mm-hmm. And the fact that gold, the finest thing we can think of, that is the lowest quality in heaven, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. That's a really interesting thing to think about because it seems to me that whether it's, whether it's physical or not, it's the same point. Literally the most glorious substance that we can think of, you know, I've, I, you know, there's, I think it I'm not going to second guess that the most, <laughs> the most fine substance we can think of and that they could think of, mm-hmm. <clears throat> we're literally going to be walking on that. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a really, it's a really interesting, really interesting thing to think about. And again, I, I think that ultimately <clears throat> the application for this is something that we've already mentioned multiple times. We'll never be able to fully describe either one. And to be honest, I don't think we should even want to be able to fully describe either one. I think that comes back to the point that you were just making. Mm -hmm. In the same way that we can quantify certain things about God's nature, but we can never fully understand it, we can quantify ideas about heaven and ideas about hell, but we can never fully understand it. Mm -hmm. And I think that my only prayer right now is that we never have to fully understand yeah. what hell is like and i am i am confident that the blood of christ covers me and i'm confident that the blood of christ covers both of you and that it always will so praise god that this is Amen. information we will never have Amen. and i look forward to that glorious day when we will have full knowledge that's actually something that to me will be one of the greatest things about heaven is that we'll be able to converse with an all-knowing being for all eternity mm. And obviously, you know, there's a lot of people who will try to say, well, those things won't even matter to us anymore. I'm like, whether that's true or not, I'm going to think about it right now because that's something that I look forward to. Mm-hmm. I want to talk to God. I want to know what did it look like when the sun stood still? Mm-hmm. What did it sound like when the fire came down on Mount Carmel? Did Moses like cry in fear when the sea parted? Was anyone aquaphobic walking through it? What you know? There, there's just random thoughts that I have that it's like this information is going to be incredible, mm-hmm. and there's so much about heaven that we cannot understand that we. But that's also part of what makes it so amazing, you know. One of my one of my Bible class teachers from back home, uh, Jared Regester, we 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 called him our beloved teacher uh, as a joke, uh, <laughs> but he he was a great guy and I, I really enjoyed having class with him, but. Something that he always said that, that I'm remembering right now is that uh, when he gets to heaven, he wants to watch the Bible through like a movie, like oh, the way that it really happened in real life. amazing. Right? Oh, my word. Uh, but anyway, to, to draw it back to the, to the passage in Luke chapter 16, uh, I really appreciate your guys' thoughts on, on, uh, on the subject so far. But there's one more thing that I want us to look at uh, in this section, and that's the gulf that is fixed between... Uh, heaven and hell or mm. uh, Abraham's bosom and torments uh, whatever you think that may be it's it's clear that one place 
is good and one place is bad. And whether or not that is a, a lesser version of what's to come, that, that's neither here nor there. Uh, I, but like I said, I want to focus on that gulf. Uh, you mentioned earlier just, you know, when you were describing the, the agony that the rich man was in, that he, that he the only thing that he could hope for was, that, was for Lazarus to dip his finger in water and put that on, on his tongue. And, you know, I was, I was sitting here thinking about that, and, you know, that wouldn't really do anything, right? But that was, that was this guy's only hope. It was, it was that bad. Uh, but of course, and, and you uh, you weren't able to get into this earlier because you were wanted to make a different point. But uh, you know, Moses, uh, excuse me, uh, Abraham, Moses is brought up later in the in the in the story. But Mo, uh, Abraham says, you know, we can't come to you. You can't come to us. There's this gulf. There's this fixture that is in between us. And so no one in Abraham's bosom can get to where the rich man was, and nowhere with no one where the rich man was could get to Abraham's bosom. And I think that really speaks to the finality of what it's talking about here, right? This is final. This is it. You had your chance and you blew it, right? Yeah. And, and the rich man, uh, he, he says, let me go back and let me talk to my brothers. Let me warn them. Yeah, think about that. Or, 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 or uh, sorry, uh, let, 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 let Lazarus go back and, and tell my brothers so that they don't end up in the same place that I do. And Abraham says, well, they have Moses and they have the prophets. All those people pointed to Christ. You should be able to figure it out from there. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it just, in my mind, it speaks that, you know, because of that, that gulf that is fixed, that that's impassable. It's final. You've got one shot in this life. <clears throat> you know, the, the, there's a phrase out there, YOLO. Right, you only live once, and people will use that phrase to justify doing stupid things. Mm-hmm. Right, they'll, they'll use that phrase to justify. Well, if I want to go and sleep around, you know, I only live once. Right, yeah. so let me let me enjoy pleasure. And I think we as Christians kind of need to overtake that phrase and and start using it ourselves in call a different it, way. Call it yolt. You only live twice. Have eternal life. <laughs> true, true. But <coughs> but the point is, we only have one shot, and like we mm-hmm. mentioned earlier, we have. To go before God and and talk about the things that we've done in our body uh, before Him, and we have to we have to uh, say the good things and the bad things that we've done in this life, and we've got one shot. That's it. So the way you live right now is incredibly important. Yeah. Uh, someone used this illustration on me once. And it's really, really powerful. And I want to share it with, with you guys and, and with the audience uh, who are listening to us. Imagine that when you die, you get brought up uh, to, to the judgment place, so to speak. And, and Jesus is there and you know, there, there's, a, there's this mansion. He says, give me a tour. And you're, you're, you're a little confused, but you, know, you go along with it because it's Christ. Uh, and you walk in the first room and it's a massive library. And it's everything that you've ever read in your life. And you have to point out to Jesus, these are the things that I read. You know, here's Bible, here's commentaries, here's, you know, other scriptural things. And then here's the, uh, the worldly things. You know, here, here's the things that I shouldn't have been reading. And you have to show those to Christ. And then it gets to, you know, a, a, a screen and you have to show Christ everything that you've seen in your life. And it, yeah, and it just goes on and on and on with things that you've seen, things that you've heard, things that you've read, things that you've said, those kinds of things. 
and it, and it goes on and on and on. And you have to show those things to Christ. And that hit me because there's a lot of things that I don't want people knowing about, much less to my Savior. But the fact is that he already knows all of those things. And then you get to the last room and, and there's nothing there. And, and you turn to Christ and you say, I don't, I don't, I don't understand what's going on. And, and Christ says, well, you remember all those, all those things that you showed me that were sinful, that were bad? Because of my grace, because of the fact that you served me, they're gone. They're erased. That's what, it, that's what it is to be in Christ. We are sinful creatures. We are dirty creatures. We are unclean and unpure in every way. But when we follow Christ, A, our life gets a lot better. We start living a lot better than we did before. There's a lot of people out there who were living crazy, crazy lives, crazy sinful lives. And then they encountered Christ and they completely changed. Uh, that, I mean, that, that's what it is to follow Christ. No matter how bad you are, no matter how much you do, if you are truly living for Christ, his blood will cover you. Uh, one, of my, one of my mentors from back home, a man that I love dearly, uh, he's, he's told stories about his, his upbringing. He was, to put, it, uh, to put it lightly, he was a ruffian. Right? He was a thug. He, he got all kinds of tattoos. He's, he rode around on motorcycles. He, uh, he told me a story one time of how he threw a teacher out a window. And whether or not that's true or not, I don't know. But, I mean, that's just the kind of guy that this man was. You haven't? I, I've not, no. Uh, Throw up. <laughs> but the point is, uh, at some point in his life, he became a Christian. Hmm. And now he's a close family friend. He was a teacher of mine. He's a preacher back home. And I mean, it just, I mean, <clears throat> you look at the guy and he's, he's a tall guy. He's a big guy. He's, he's got all kinds of tattoos and he's got a goatee and, and he's bald, right? He looks like someone that would beat you up if you, if you touch their bike, but he's one of the most caring, most humble men that I've ever met in my life. Hmm. He, I mean, he's a teacher at a school, at a high school. I, I just that's the power of the gospel. It took someone like like that who was throwing his life away and I, I don't you know I don't want to say that sounding like I'm I'm judging but he he was not living wisely and now he's you know he's got two kids, he's got a grandson that he's incredibly proud of and he's he's turned his life around, he's living for Christ and he's leading other people to Christ. I love him so much and I'm so thankful for him and I'm so thankful for whoever ended up teaching him the gospel. But that's the power of Christ right there. And, and I, I said it before, but I'll say it again. If you don't get anything else from this episode, listen here. Christ transforms people. So the question that we're looking at right now, what happens after we die? Yes, that's an important question. But the more important question is, what are you doing when you're alive? Are you living for Christ? Are you living the way that he wanted you to live? Or are you throwing your life away? We've got one shot. And we've got to make the use of it. I'll stop, I'll stop my uh, tangent there. How much time do we have left? Well, I think we're going on going close to an hour now. But Yeah, hey. there's, there's so many other theories that you could hit. Whether or not Lazarus was the Lazarus that Jesus loved. And if this was Jesus knowing about how he came back, 
or there's there's questions about well can when we're in heaven or abraham's bosom can we see into hades if so would that make it no longer heaven because we're seeing torment or would we have such a perfect sense of justice that it would still be okay there's so many questions so many things and ultimately there's probably more questions than answers but in a very odd sense speaking as someone who loves answers far more than questions <laughs> that is one of the most beautiful things about our life after death is that we don't know about it in the same way that I wouldn't want to know everything about God because that puts him on my level. And if God is on my level, we are all in trouble. Mm -hmm. It's the same thing about the afterlife. All I know is I want to be there and all I know is I'm going to be there and I can't wait to be there with you guys. Amen. It's going to be the party of the century though, <laughs> or of the eternity. <laughs> well, I think, <laughs> I think that's a good place to wrap it up. Um, and to close out this episode, what a fun episode. What a, what a lot of good discussion. A lot of firsts. Um, and a lot sure. of firsts, yeah, for sure. Um, you may have got lost along the theological journey that we went on, um, and that's okay. Uh, if you have any questions about what we may have said um, or you want to explore some topics that we discussed further, send us an email. We'll set up a time to talk with you. Um, we're here for you. We want to discuss these things. We're, we're all about uh, looking at worldly problems through a godly perspective. And so um, this is definitely... A, huh? He got the slogan in. I got the slogan in. Yes, I did. And so, and typically I mess up the slogan and Isaiah's always yelling at me and I'm the one who created this podcast and he keeps on yelling at me for messing up my own slogan. So, that's, <laughs> that's pretty funny. Nonetheless. Um <laughs> You're breaking your own copyright law. Yeah. <laughs> you have to sue yourself. I gotta sue myself. Howl versus howl. <laughs> a misrepresentation. There's uh, another paradox, bro. Could you beat yourself in a lawsuit? I don't know. We'll find out. <laughs> you can find a way. I feel like you're the type of person. You find can us. Find a way. Uh, tune in next time to figure out if I won that or not. No, uh, we should traumatize uh, that. That'd be so much fun. Oh, hey. Boy. Uh, but we're thankful that you joined us, and we want uh, you to like us on our Facebook page, follow us on Instagram, uh, and follow us on Twitter as well. Uh, I know we haven't mentioned that before, but it's there. Um, you can follow us there. Uh, Isaiah is going to be creating some reels for us soon. He just doesn't know it yet, but <laughs> they're going to be real. And so we'll be on Instagram reels, and Isaiah will be doing some uh, advertisement there. Um, thanks to our social media guy. So... <clears throat> We're looking forward to some great stuff. Great stuff uh, coming to you in Season 4. Um, we have a lot of great topics. So this is just the uh, semi-start of it. Um, we... And remember to check out Nate's music as well. Yeah. Yes, please do. You can follow me on Instagram at NateJamesMusicOfficial. And I don't care about any other social media sites, so don't even try to look me up elsewhere. <laughs> and on every streaming platform that you like, my whole goal is to provide... Uh, music that sounds like everyone else that you enjoy, but had to have no fear of any explicit stuff, and then always be encouraging. So, it'd mean a lot if you go check it out. Very, very good. And we look forward to seeing you next week, same time, same channel. And um, and we hope you have a great rest of whatever time of day you're watching this. And Isaiah, you want to close this out in prayer? Let's do it. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for who you are and. And for the fact that you sent your son down on earth to save us from our sins. Lord, there's so many questions that we have, so many things that you chose not to reveal to us. And Lord, help us to search your word for the, for the answers to those questions. And Lord, help us to have the wisdom to recognize that there are some things in this life that you decided we didn't need to know. And Lord, help us to have faith in you and to have trust in your wisdom instead of ours. Lord, we're so thankful for everything that you've done for us. And Lord, we, 
We're so thankful, especially for the grace that you have for us. There's, there's no words that can really describe the, the power uh, that you have or the love that you have, Lord. Thank you so much for everything that you've done for us. And Lord, help us to go out and live in a way that is worthy of the sacrifice that your son made on the cross for us. Thank you so much for everything that you do. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. God loves you all. We love you and have a great night.